Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Fancast to get you set for the long weekend. You can sit back over the long weekend here and digest everything, Tom, that has been said by so many in the Vancouver Canuck organization over the last couple of days. We've heard from the general manager. We've heard from the coach who has a new contract. We even heard from the owner uh, in his usual fashion via a letter to season ticket members. Uh, before we jump in, and there is so much to digest here uh, a couple of days after the season ended, uh, I have to start this Vancast. By wishing you a happy birthday. I'm a day late, but happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, pandemic birthday, too. It was low-key, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, always nice to become a year older and turn 34 and still be among Vancouver's young core. <laughs> At least on the media side. Um, you know, I've only got 20 years left in which I can be considered young in Canucks terms, like JT Miller. It goes by in a hurry, trust me. Uh, I, I speak from experience <laughs> on that front. six years younger than me, but still young. <laughs> I love the fact that you got a long weekend to celebrate your birthday. So uh, I'm sure you'll do it upright if it was low-key on the day itself. You've got the, the whole weekend here ahead of you. Uh, let's get right in. Uh, no surprise now, I suppose, that uh, the word had been out for 24 hours that Travis Green would, in fact, get his extension he does. He meets the media via Zoom along with Jim Benning. Double boxes. They weren't side by side, I don't think, although I'm not sure if they were in the same room or not. It's Zoom. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they were available on the same screen. And moments before they met the media, the owner uh, published his letter as well. So there's lots of ground to cover here. Uh, but let's jump into what we heard uh, from General Manager Jim Benning and Travis Green. Most of the questions, as expected, were directed to Jim. I don't think that was a surprise. We haven't had much access to him over the season. Here we had uh, Travis every day, twice a day, on game days. So, you know, lots of the questions have been put to Travis Green here. Uh, but it's done now. Finally, pen put to paper. He's back. Two years, it was confirmed. Uh, I'm not sure about you. My overarching sort of takeaway from Jim Benning's availability is that uh, there is some pressure on him as there should be every year, but there's pressure on him to get back to the playoffs, and he is going to be aggressive this offseason via trade, via free agency. He's going to Buy explore buyouts. buyouts. And, yeah. I mean, I guess that's good that he's going to be aggressive, but seven years on the job, uh, I think in some ways that's what got him into trouble in the first place, was being aggressive in free agency and trades, it doesn't matter if you make a bunch of trades and you go and sign players if you don't get the right players. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's learned. He was asked about that uh, over his tenure as general manager. But it, it sounded like, uh, you know, he started with that statement, right? And I think the statement hit on a, a lot of the right notes. I mean, it, it sounded a little bit staged and rehearsed. Um, you know, he recognized the shortcomings of the organization. He took ownership of many of the problems but words are just words, and this market has heard so many words over the years. Uh, it truly is time for some action. There's so much to unpack here. The 
Fact is, is I think we saw an evolution of Vancouver's messaging, even if we didn't see an evolution in, you know, the key personalities at play here, right? Which is Travis Green, Jim Benning, Francesco Aquilini, right? Francesco heard from but not seen or, or you know, available to answer questions sort of looms large over this. Uh, he released a statement, obviously, in the morning, a letter to season ticket holders. Uh, Darkest before the dawn, he said. Uh, noted that progress, what, what, what was it? Progress doesn't always continue in a straight line. It's mm-hmm. like, don't you need to indicate that that straight line is trending upward? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think that was exactly written by a, a geometry major. Uh, but the <laughs> the main thing that struck me from Francesco's letter was the continue, or what was what was the exact phrasing, J-Pat, about the continue to provide, you know, the connects with full resources. Yeah. Um, the management that, group will be provided all of the resources necessary. Right. And uh, continue to be provided, of course, because, mm. you know, we, we can't admit that the 20% player personnel spend in addition to extraordinarily sharp layoffs on the business side, um, you know, not, not only squandered this team's ability to compete this year, but we're an abdication of the civic responsibility that any major employer has during unprecedented times in the pandemic. Um, But, you know, got to address that head on. And I think that's why buyouts was so pointedly included by Jim as well in the lead up, right? In the sort of lead up, the prepared statement, right? First couple of sentences. Among the priorities. Now, buyouts! (laughs) Now, here's the thing, though, is like... He needed a megaphone, didn't he? I I, would have been just for drama and effects. (laughs) And like to press the button, like... (laughs) I would love that. Um, Not a lot of good buyoutable contracts on the Canucks this year, by the way. Like, this is something that needs to be noted, too. Because remember, you get a million in relief by burying a guy in the American League, right? So it's like, if you bury Antoine Roussel's three million in Abbotsford, right? The... Cap savings on on doing so is like just a hair over a million dollars, right? If you buy them out, your cap savings are $1.26 million, right? So it's like really the swing there is only 250K. Your benefit's only 250K to buy them out. That's not a lot. If you buy out Louis Erickson versus burying him in the American League, the savings are under a million dollars. Like that is that really worth it? Is that really the best way to carve out like it's good that they'll be able to buy out contracts again, but like the leverage of buying out a contract like Brandon Sutter, where you would have saved, you know, 2.3 or 1.5 over the cost of a buyout, like that moves the needle. Um, the only bu- contract that really makes sense to buy out is Jake Vertanen's, and I think that's a fait accompli. The only issue with that is. Well, there is no issue with that. You buy out Jake Vertanen. I mean, the, the cap hit from doing so, your savings are $2.5 million, right? That's that's immediately worth it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's the one. The, the Vertanen one's the one, and that opens up $2.5 million in space. And so, yeah, but the fundamentally, the tone changed, right? The conversation was about adding scoring depth, right? Yeah. Supporting this core, it felt like they were anticipating some of the arguments that were going to be made. Uh, you know, I, I thought Jim and Travis were really careful to take accountability, something that uh, has been rare, right? Or in short supply. 
in this organization's public statements, certainly over the past 12 months. So, you know, aimed low, but I thought we're much more polished in terms of delivery and in terms of the priorities that were articulated. And yet, I don't know that any Canucks fan that was skeptical about this club's direction will have heard those comments and had their mind changed or had their confidence sort of renewed um, in terms of the leadership in this club's overall direction. Yeah, there was a a line late. I can't remember what the question was, but the answer from Jim was, we need to score more, we need to spend more time in the other team's end, can't be on our heels all the time. And, I mean, you know, on the surface, of course, right? Like, of course, but I, I, I think acknowledging and recognizing the problem is, in fact, the first step. Now, can he give or provide Travis Green the kind of lineup that is capable of doing that. Because the Canucks, again, this year gave up the 29th most shots, or they were 29th out of 31 teams in shots against per game. Last year, they were 28th, and that's been an ongoing issue. And we've documented that uh, repeatedly on this podcast, and others have as well. So, you know, it's fine to recognize your shortcomings. Now you go into an offseason where you try to address them. And, you know, he was asked a couple of different ways about uh, you know, what he's looking for in that bottom six. We heard Bo Horvat yesterday. We heard Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers, uh, you know, Tyler Myers said, just keep adding. You got to keep adding. I like that response from him. And and there certainly is an element of truth to that. The problem is when you look at what they did this season, you know, they added. They added via the waiver wire. And we know that that didn't necessarily work out for them. At the end, they tried to add from Utica and nobody really stepped up and, and grabbed uh, the brass ring, I don't think. Um, so, you know, we'll see what a full training camp brings and we'll see what happens here in the off season, obviously, uh, with this organization. Um, you know, let's get into your question because I, I think it needs, it needed to be asked. And it was this idea that Jim kept saying they got to make the playoffs next year. They got to make the playoffs next year. Well, and, and Francesco Aquilini's letter too said it. Right, and the fan base certainly wants this team to return to the playoffs. We know how much work they've done. It's it's one thing to say it. It's going to be another to, to make it happen. But it does beg this question uh, about why just the playoffs? Like, nobody in the organization seems to want to raise the bar for public consumption. It's like, you know, we're going to do whatever is possible to make the playoffs. But people want more than that. People should demand more than that. Yeah, I mean, and also as a goal, you know, like, like, there's sort of like a pyramid in hockey. You know, I sort of look at it as a pyramid. And it's like a process pyramid, but at the top is lifting the cup. Like, that's what this market cares about. That's what, 51 years in this market, that's never been done. Like, that's the goal. That's the only thing anyone cares about. Canucks fans don't sit around being like, I hope I don't die before the Canucks make the playoffs again. <laughs> no one, no one says that. No one no, no, thinks like don't. that, you know. But in hushed tones, in bars across British Columbia, right? Uh, especially, especially in pre-COVID times, like poorly ventilated indoor spaces after a Canucks loss, right? Where fans are like a Canucks playoff loss in the spring, and people have a few too many. Like, you know, someone's inevitably like running their hands through their head, like stressing out. It's just being like, I just, I just hope they win one before I die. <laughs> like that happens like all over British Columbia all the time. Uh, that's what Canucks fans want, and there is a pyramid to it, right? Like to make the Stanley Cup, you have to make the playoffs. Jim Benning is right. To make the playoffs, you have to win a lot of games, right? 
to win a lot of games, you have to pretty regularly um, outscore your uh, opposition. To outscore your opposition, you quite regularly have to control play and outshoot teams on a regular basis, consistently. To outshoot teams on a regular basis, you need good players who help you drive play five on five, right? To identify good players who outshoot teams, help you outshoot teams five on five, you know, you need to draft well. You need to mind that, like, you know, it's a pyramid, right? And at the bottom of the pyramid is good process. So, like, why are you aiming to get nearly to the top? You know, like, why are you aiming, why are you not just sort of mapping out the whole mountain that you're looking to summit? Why are you just looking to get to the Hillary step and be like, huh, wow, looks like it would be hard to finish this. <laughs> like, 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 you know, that's not, that's not how it works. Sir Edmund Hillary would be, you know, rolling around in his grave hearing this. Well, to that point then, and you I mixed a, a lot of metaphors there, by the way, I'm very excited. No, it was good though. And, and I like the pyramid. I mean, I, I think you, you lay that out. Uh, reasonably well. Hopefully, uh, people at Rogers Arena listen to this episode. I know some do. Uh, you know, maybe they can take your pyramid and make it into a wall chart. Uh, the, other, <laughs> the other thing, the other thing, though, we heard from Jim a couple of times too was, you know, he wants three scoring lines. Well, why not four? It's it sort of in that same vein of just making the playoffs. Like, why stop at three scoring lines? Yeah. Like Pierre, Pierre, uh, P.E. Belmar on the yes, Colorado Avalanche. Right. Ten yeah. goals. Ten no, goals. No. It's ridiculous. So, so he, he didn't articulate that about, like, what what does he value in the bottom six? Like, in the modern game, you know, what is his vision? I, I, I wish I had asked that. Somebody asked a question kind of like that, but he, he just talked about three scoring lines. But what's the fourth line? Like, in, in my mind, like, I could see a fourth line for the Canucks. I, I think I'd be okay with a fourth line of, you know, Brandon Sutter at a million bucks with Mott and Highmore. But that's your fourth line, but it doesn't start to address, like... Sorry, sorry. That. Who do you have? You have Mott, Sutter, and Highmore. Yeah. How about, how about, how about Pod Colson, Sutter, and Mott? Okay. But, in, like, and that's all fine. And then Highmore's it, your 13th forward. Okay, that's fine, too. But there's that issue of the third line. <laughs> like, who, who's on the I third know. line? I know. Well, you, I mean, you need a third line center. That's a expensive proposition. If you're going to go find one, right? Like if you're going to go find one in free agency, um, I mean, that's not easy. Not easy at all, right? Like maybe, maybe Eric Halla's re- value doesn't rebound. Uh, maybe, maybe Carl Soderberg, his value doesn't rebound. So, I mean, it's hard to find a third line center who's good, right? Like it's really hard to yeah. find, you know, your, your equivalent of Tyson Jost. Right. Like it's really tough to find. Um, and then and then, I mean, ideally, your third line wingers would be like Hoaglander Pearson. But they're they're your second line wingers. Yes, they are. Right. And then if we've got Mott and Pod Colson on your fourth line and now we're cooking with oil, by the way, like Mott, Sutter, Pod Colson with like Highmore as a depth guy. Like that's nice. Like that, like Highmore, Howerluck competing to flesh out your fourth line. Like, great. That's that's what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, your, your but third again, line, just, there's, there's in your pyramid or your wall chart, like there's just a massive gap in that. Well, and the massive gap is a third line center and two top six wingers. It's like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, like how do you, yeah, I mean, maybe, make, maybe making the playoffs is the goal for, for that group. Well, and, that, and that's fine. But like, I mean, maybe it is, you know, we, we. And and if your answer to why are you going to make the playoffs is well we need to 
we need to walk before we run. You know, the goal is to make the playoffs. But, you know, in the short term, we need to return to, you know, competing and, and building that winning culture. And, you know, we thought we were a team on the rise. And this season, we took a step back. We didn't want to do that. And now it's really important to get back on track and eat and show some signs of meaningful progress next year. Like that we can live with, I think. It's just that, like, you know, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why you want to make the playoffs and just get crushed. You don't get get crushed, but maybe Demko goes 970 for a four-game stretch again and you, and you win or, or you take it to game seven. You know, like, I don't know. Like, it just seems... It just seems to lack ambition and vision, and I, and I think that's been an issue with this club for a long time now. You know, part of me it doesn't quite feel right grinding through every word with a magnifying glass of the owner's letter, but 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 we never hear from him, so this is all we're left to to do. And we talked a little bit about the fact that you know he he put Miller and and twenty six year old Horvat. You know, in this young core now, I think I think including Miller though was pointed just because of all the speculation around him that he's going to leave or that he wants. Right, out. I just and, think I just think like putting it putting him there was not about youth or about consistency. It was just like and Miller, and people have pointed out because I tweeted that and questioned whether Miller and Horvat should be part of the young core. People have correctly pointed out that there is a period there that the sentence says we have one of the most promising groups of young players in the league. Period. And then the second sentence is Horvat, Pedersen, Hughes, Besser, Demko, Miller, hyphen, Jim, Travis, and I all believe in the core group. So we may be oh, splitting okay, hairs. Okay, okay, okay. We, we, are, splitting we hairs. are splitting hairs, in fact. So I, I, as a uh, grammar police, grammar police um, are going to uh, give you a ticket. Miller, Miller is part of the core, not the young yes, core. Absolutely. And and I don't doubt that for a second. Hey, I, liked, I liked how prescribed they were about the prospects included. I want to. I want to just note that I enjoyed that it was Rathbone, Podkolzin, Hoaglander, yes. and not Yolevi, Lind, Lockwood, or like something like that. You know, no like, mention of those three. No, no mention of Hunter Shinkarik and Dane Fox, <laughs> no. right? And no. it's like, thank goodness. Do you remember that letter? Do you remember that letter that was like Nick Jensen, Brendan Gons, Dane Fox? Like yeah. we're pursuing the Anaheim Ducks model, and it was just like, no. No, no, guys, no. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> All right. Well, if the grammar police is out uh, doing traffic checks here, then we have to mention uh, where he says, "Please get vaccinated as soon you can." Now, oh. yeah, not so good. And but good message. I, that, that's my favorite part of the letter. Do please get vaccinated as soon yeah, you but- can. Okay, but but don't get vaccinated <laughs> so that you can go to Rogers Arena and buy beer and popcorn. No, but like, do that. But what? But I don't care why. I don't care what your motivation is. Okay. I don't care what. Just get vaccinated. I don't care if you're oh, like definitely. I don't want to get vaccinated so I can go to a house party. Like, fine, whatever. I don't we're care. On the same. We're go on the go same get page. it. I mean, honestly, honestly, I want to get vaccinated so I so you can take me to a steakhouse. Oh. <laughs> that was like primary in my motivation. Well, the real reason you want to get vaccinated is so that we can go gather at Steamworks, right? (laughs) That's true. That's true. And raise a toast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
All right, let's get to the coaching staff because Travis is back. Two-year deal. That part's confirmed. And Jim Benning said he was going to talk to others. Uh, he would talk with Travis, obviously, and review the staff top to bottom. Front office was going to be reviewed as well. Questions were asked about Ian Clark, who uh, is, you know, he's headed towards unrestricted free agency, but uh, hasn't bolted just yet. Uh, and Jim says he was going to have a conversation later today as we record this in the noon hour on Friday. Uh, are, are you anticipating that there is any chance that they can retain the services of Ian Clark, or uh, is he off to explore that next opportunity in the hockey world? I think they'll try. I know, Sorry, I know they'll try. They'll, they're yeah. going to try. I mean, they value what Ian Clark brings, but this is the knockoff effects of, you know, waiting as long as they did with Green and the fact that they internally had this idea that Green goes first and until Green's done, you know, we don't get to Clark. And, you know, I mean, first of all, if you're going to, like, to actually end up re-signing Green, which I think is the right call, I don't think it's a secret that I think a lot of his coaching abilities, um, but, you know, to actually go through this season where they were basically out of it from, you know, mid-February on. Like, it, within a month of the season, it was clear that, you know, they needed something ridiculous to make the playoffs. Like, 120-point pace the rest of the way. Um, so then you play out all of those games, and, like, you know, as late as, what, mid-April? Travis Green was, like, brushing aside the notion of playing Cole Lind and, and Jack Rathbone. Like, let's not forget this, right? Like, Jack Rathbone ends up being... In the letter, right? Like one of the bright spots of this season is, well, Jack Rathbone looks NHL ready. And as recently as what? Mid-April, Travis Green was like, Jack Rathbone, what? Like, no, we're trying to win here. Right? Like, come on. You you gotta, if you extend your coach in mid-February, I, I suspect you have a very different approach to development, to, you know, sort of grinding out every point from this season to the deadline and on and on, on and on down the list. Like a healthy organization needs to be aligned way better than the Canucks were. Even if they made the right call ultimately to keep their head coach, they went about it in the wrong way. Um, fundamentally, that's a really important thing to note here. And and part of the knockoff effects of that is that they missed, you know, a, a deadline that, that Clark has had. And so, you know, I, I think there've been conversations. I think they're continuing, but Ian Clark is a guy who believes in himself and, you know, has his own sort of code and surely cannot be happy that this has played out the way it has. And and so these conversations begin with the club bringing him to the table and, and, and you know, honestly, just even seeing if, you know, the, the bravado of his deadline is is going to be enforced, if he's going to enforce the line in the sand that he drew. And, and that's a tough place to start. I think the Canucks are going to have to come really heavy, like really hard and really heavy to get this done. And all of that said, I think they will. Like, I think they will do everything they can to retain Ian Clark. They've integrated his knowledge on the amateur side. Like his value to this organization extends beyond Thatcher Demko. We all know now what Thatcher Demko thinks about working with Ian Clark. Uh, I've been saying that on this podcast in my writing for a while. Uh, I think it was a you know, something that Demko desperately want, desperately, I mean, explicitly, I don't think that Demko said it. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, this one's, that one's going to be the interesting one to watch. And then I am curious to see who else returns. There've been some rumors that perhaps the entire staff uh, will be reevaluated overall. 
I think my understanding is that they're still going to try and, and return the, the same basic staff, um, you know, to for, for Travis Green next year. Uh, but but there's certainly some rumors around questioning that. That said, there's a lot of rumors around right now that I really don't believe. And Jim Benning was asked specifically about John Weisbrod, his assistant general manager, and honestly, his closest advisor. And, you know, obviously, he's, he defended Weisbrod, and it certainly sounds like those rumors were unfounded. And this was one, like, I wonder very strongly, J-Pat, if this was an example of Tajception, right? Where, like, <laughs> at some point this week, Taj1944 tweets, like, They're, they should fire John Weisbrod, like, give us something, right? And then people in the industry see it and start wondering, like, oh, do you think he's safe? Like, Drager reported that the Twins might be AGMs. Can the Canucks have four AGMs? Like, that would be weird. No other team has four AGMs. Maybe they have to get rid of an AGM. Do you think Do you think this could happen? Like, blah, blah, blah. So it becomes, like, clucking hens in the industry talking about it. And then clucking hens start asking their, you know, national guys. And then national guys start asking their other sources. And then eventually it works its way back to the point that someone on the radio in Vancouver says... Hey, I'm not sure about, you know, if the whole management group, like, what about John Weisbrot? I'm not sure he'll return. And then Taj transcribes that off the radio, and now you've got a story. <laughs> and it's just like, I swear, the whole the whole thing metastasized from Taj back to Taj and became a story. It was Tajception. I've never seen anything like it. Anyway, no, from, it's from, it. from Benning's comments, it got poo-pooed, I'd say. I, I don't think there are going to be changes at that level of the Canucks executive ranks in hockey operations. No, I mean, it sounds like a job for the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 just to like, you know, <laughs> weed right through uh, to get through the, to the truth. Jim certainly went to bat for John Weisbrod. Uh, he talked about the Sedins as well. Uh, we'll see where that goes. I don't think anybody's anticipating that there's going to be any kind of splashy announcement over a long weekend. Uh, if you're going to bring the twins in, uh, I don't think you would you know, miss the the PR opportunity. So I, I would assume with Travis getting done and sort of this review of the coaching staff and others in the front office that you think it's safe to say that, you know, the new cycle will slow here over the weekend? I do. I think everyone needs a long weekend. Like, I, like we need a long weekend, J-Pat. I think the Canucks need a long weekend. I think everyone can use a, a long weekend here. It's been a crazy week of news. The Canucks played, what, three games <laughs> uh, last week. Like, I think it's, I think it's okay for everyone to just take a moment, cool down, chill out. Um, and then I thought it was interesting. Jim Benning's comment on the Sedin's thing was, you know, if they decide, right. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think people are underrating the extent to which the twins are, you know, driving and will ultimately drive exactly what this looks like and exactly what they end up doing and, and what those titles look like. I think they're very careful gentlemen. I think they are, you know, really guiding this process in terms of exactly where they land, uh, just because of how deliberate they're being. Uh, so I don't think that one's done. And and I think that Jim Benning's answer speaks volumes about its status. I think the twins are making sure that they are put in a position where they'll succeed in the event that they join the org. Uh, there were a couple of others. Uh, you couldn't get through a, a year-ender without uh, Tyler Toffoli. <laughs> his name uh, being brought up, and it was. Um, and I'm not sure this is a great look on Jim. Like, I, I think the organization should help him here and just figure out, you know, how they can, you know, provide him with a fire extinguisher every time it comes up. Because Defoe's under contract for a few more years in Montreal, he's going to score some more goals. 
But today it went from didn't run out of time to the landscape changing. And I, I think the Canucks kind of keep moving the bar on that one. They would be better off just to sort of find a position, stick to it, and, you know, just kind of wince every time to fully scores here in the playoffs or next season. Uh, you know, if they go back to a regular schedule, they're not going to see as much of him. There won't be as much focus, obviously, on Vancouver-Montreal playing nine times and the Canucks not beating the Habs at any point in regulation. But I let's, just... let's unpack it. Let's unpack it and then make our recommendation. So here's okay. what we here's what we know about Tavoli. He was never made an offer by the Canucks, right? There are two reasons for that. One is that the Canucks were never allowed to exercise a buyout. And the moment that happened, they didn't have the cap space to both upgrade their defense find a reliable or what they saw as a reliable 1A option and goal to replace Jacob Markstrom and re-sign to Foley, right? Like somewhere along the way, the Canucks, when the when the season ended, the Canucks' priorities were Markstrom to Foley, keep them both. And somewhere along the way, the priorities became upgrade the defense, um, re- restrain or like make sure we have a veteran backup for Demko and... And those those were the priorities. Like that, those became the two priorities. It wasn't Markstrom to Foley. It was goaltending help and upgrade the defense. And so, as the first day of free agency unfolds, and their you know the OEL deal sort of falls apart and Tanev departs, all of a sudden that money gets earmarked for Nate Schmidt. And so Nate Schmidt was going to take up their cap space. They had a good sense that that deal was happening. They ended up never making to Foley an offer because they didn't have the cap space. Um, a, a Toffoli offer was never approved. Like they never had ownership approval to make that offer. And that was fundamentally because they decided to prioritize defense and because ownership hadn't signed off on them exercising a buyout. So Toffoli was, I mean, it's, it wasn't, the, it was that the landscape changed to some extent, the flat cap sort of restrained their options. It also was because the landscape changed in terms of their overall spend and the landscape changed in terms of what the club prioritized in terms of, you know, what they needed. And they decided that they needed Holtby and defensive help instead of to, instead of uh, re-signing, to, um, you know, an, another winger, right? Like Jim Benning's most revealing quote on this was the one that he gave in the immediate aftermath, where he said, we were the second highest scoring team in the Western Conference um, before the pause, and Toffoli had only played 10 games. Like, we, we think we're going to score. We don't think that Toffoli is as high leverage as a defender who will help us, you know, sort of. So, I mean, it was a it was a misjudgment on the hockey side that was amplified by some of the club's inefficient spend in the past and the fact that they cut their budget. So what's the PR line in that that the club should use? Things got complicated. Sure. We, I mean, we we decided to. I think I think you have to stick with it. We I, I would own it if I was them, I think like. You know, we we thought we had to prioritize our defense. That would be my that would be my explanation. I'm sure they would love to move past it, but it's gonna they're gonna get reminded of it every time to fully scores, and so they sort of have to be prepared. But it's also because they can't be honest about all the factors that led into it. Like you can't say you can't come out and be like, "Oh man, unfortunately we had Roussel and Beagle taking up six million in cap space, so that really tied our hands." Like you can't say that. You can't say, "Oh man, we really we couldn't exercise a buyout because of uh you know the limitations on our budget." So. You know, we were kind of hosed financially. Like, you can't say that. So what can you say and stick by? And, I mean, for me, I would be saying, you know, we we just we decided to upgrade our defense. That, that would be the line, and I'd just stick with it. And it's not a great line, and you're going to get pounded for it anyway. But, you know, stick with that. That's the one that you can at least, like, consistently stand by. 
the other thing that I mean, Jim had to know, and the organization had to know. We barely talked about Travis, by the way. We should talk about Travis, right? We're going to get there. I just um, the other thing that the organization had to know. Jake's name was going to come up today, right? Like, yes, and it did on a couple of occasions. Questions about the independent investigation, uh, and and Jim knew, right? Like he could have easily taken the I can't say anything because it's a legal matter. Like he knew the question was coming, and then he even said, like, I want to say a couple of things because I think he. You know, he took a ton of heat for not being available. He was in Dallas at the time scouting the U18s. Uh, Travis had to step forward there for 90 seconds before that game in Toronto on May the 1st. Um, and I don't think Jim necessarily did any favors with the wording of, you know, the girl put her blog out there. That wasn't, I, that was a bit of a cringeworthy moment, I thought, in the, in the conference today. Yeah, it was. And it's a really tough thing to talk about like I understand that it was a tough spot for Jim I was surprised that he didn't just no comment it right like he he actually yeah, sort of so was I he's he actually sort of tried to get into it uh, but yeah I mean there's no questioning that referring to you know the survivor as girl repeatedly was you know tone deaf at best um, and then and then of course ended up requiring clarification and he did clarify that the club's internal investigation we don't know exactly who's conducting it, um, but the internal investigation is continuing in parallel to the, you know, overall uh, police investigation or the or the police matter at hand. In addition to the civil suit that's been filed in Vancouver courts, so uh, this one is going to linger and and it's going to be interesting uh, in terms of you know the long tail uh, as it exists. Uh, but Benning declined to provide a timeline on at least the club's internal investigation and when we might expect results from that. All right. Do we want to leave the press conference behind now? And and because I do think we have to sort of get to the decision that Travis Green had to make and, and ultimately did. And he's back now for, for two more years. So are, are, are we done for now for the press conference? Yeah, I mean, we can. Yeah. We can move on, though. I, I do think we should discuss the fact that Travis Barrett, how many questions did Travis field? Three? Yeah, but that was to be expected. Again, he's been available all season long, twice yeah. a day on game days. I wasn't the least bit surprised. Uh, we hadn't really heard from Jim since uh, the back end of COVID. So, uh, you know, that that I, in some ways I, I, it would have been better if they had done it like they did with the players. I love the fact that they brought out all the players individually and you could just focus and get your questions in. And, you know, ideally that would have been the way I would have liked it. But I think Jim likes having, you know, we saw that. Uh, at the start of the season, the tra- first day of training camp, it was Jim and Travis together. Uh, there was Jim and the, do- the team doctor at one point during COVID. Uh, you know, I think there's sort of that security blanket of having somebody else there uh, if it gets a little bit rough and rocky. There was no knockout blows. I don't know that people, I, like, look, we know that the heat is up on this entire organization. I don't know what people were expecting. Uh, Sorry, are, are, are people criticizing the questions? I've seen a little bit of that. Too. I mean, I, I think people always expect that, like, you know, we're going to bring out a, a hammer and just, like, absolutely club the guy over the head. Like, I, I think there were lots of pointed questions asked, and he handled them as he chose to, and then we interpret those answers. So, uh, again, I, I'm not sure if people, like, there's this bloodlust and, you know, there, there's a small segment of Canuck Twitter that just has this bloodthirst, and, and it, that's well, just and not then, the way. And then there's the opposite. That's the way it works. There's the opposite side that have this bloodthirst. Like, I've got this one guy who's like, Drama Drance. Drama Drance got dunked on by Benning. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I asked a question. He answered it. We, uh, I didn't think it was 
disagreeable at any moment. But, I mean, that's just my take on it. Maybe someone someone can disagree. It certainly wasn't what occasionally happens with, with me and Greener. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it goes. Uh, look, the presser was interesting. The Green extension is interesting. I think, fundamentally, the overall sort of sense of compromise between Green and the organization hints at you know, an understanding. And I think a lot of this hints at an understanding that this past season was, you know, on the organization more widely than it was on, on a coach or on a GM, right? That, that the responsibility, the culpability for this team's struggles and, you know, the hole they find themselves in as a result of some of the decisions that were knock-on effects from that, including, for example, backloading Holpe's deal to avoid the cash spend this year, which leaves you with a backup who's underperformed in his first season with the Canucks and also has six million in salary due to him basically next season. That's like that's tough. Like that's 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 diminishing your own asset value, right? You you turned a no risk two year bridge to the Demco era into something that, you know, now is a one year liability, right? Like a serious cap liability, something that's going to be really hard to offload even through the expansion process. So, you know, I think that there's a recognition of that. And I think that fundamentally guided where we ended up today, uh, especially vis-a-vis green, who obviously has agreed to a two year deal uh, terms have not been disclosed, but you know, there seems to be an industry understanding that it's sort of in the in and around the league average rate. Um, so I think Green ended up earning a little more in terms of dollars than the organization would have ideally wanted to pay. And I think uh, the organization gets the shorter term deal that they wanted, uh, a compromise solution that really does speak to, I think, the fact that both sides wanted to ultimately, if they could, run it back together as a group. Yeah, and it aligns uh, Travis's contract length now with what's left on on Jim's deal. So, you know, in that way, he's tied to the general manager, and they're both tied to performance here. Um, and the heat's on. Like, look, it, it, Travis has been here four years. He's been here already uh, as a rookie NHL head coach a year longer than Willie D, and they both went to the playoffs once. And you know, I, for my mind, or my money, Travis has had more talent to work with. Like, Willie D got the back end of the Sedins. Uh, Travis had the Sedin's final year, obviously, but Horvat, Besser, Pedersen, Hughes, uh, next year, Pod Colson. Those are all the club's own first round draft picks. Four of them are top 10 picks, plus the first round that they used to acquire JT Miller. So Travis Green has had this young core, and I think he's done a pretty nice job, uh, you know, using, this has all been talked about, but Pedersen is a center right off the bat, and, you know, Quinn Hughes running the first unit power play, and this year taking the chance, and it panned out with a guy like uh, Hoaglander in a top six role. You know, the other it thing did, is... It did, it did. But also, like, Hoaglander's defensive results were not great. Like, Hoaglander should be driving things for you on a third line, not not managing really rough defensive results on your second line because he's attached to Bo Horvat, who gets thrown to the wolves. You know? And, like, Pod Colson, this is the other thing. People are going to be p- penciling, like, Pod Colson, he's the perfect Horvat line mate. And right. it's just like... We just saw with Hoaglander, who hit to like a 99th percentile of reasonable expectations for a 20-year-old two-way player in the NHL, right? Like, could not have had a better rookie season. And even he was a little overmatched in terms of the defensive responsibilities that come along with playing with Bo Horvat, right? Like, Bo Horvat himself spent an entire season, like, glued to Derek Dorsett and Ronald's Kennens on a fourth line that was, like, really good. They scored a lot, you know? 
if they played reliably 10 minutes a game. You know, 10 minutes a game, and then Horvat sort of started to get some PP2 time and started to get used a little more frequently all, all around the lineup, ended up having a really strong playoffs, like played up in, in the uh, event of injury, and then got tossed, in the, tossed to the Wolves for every subsequent year of his career. But could you imagine a world where Bo Horvat would have been able to come along a little more slowly? Like, that would have benefited him. You know, that it, it benefits everybody. Sure. Um, unless, unless you're, unless you're Pedersen or Hughes, right? Like, unless you're one among the truly elite gifted prospects. And I think Pod Colson's really skilled, but I also think his value, if he pans out, is going to be in an area that is not going to be developed for a 21 year old player, right? Like, it's it's potent. He's potentially a a game changing two way piece, like a really really strong two way piece. Um, no 21 year old comes into the NHL. And is like a polished Mark Stone type defensive stopper. Like that just doesn't happen. Uh, it, very rare, anyway. Like Couturier wasn't Couturier till he was twenty four. Barkov wasn't Barkov till he was twenty four. You know, like take some time to become an elite defensive player. Patrice Bergeron wasn't Patrice Bergeron till he was twenty four. Um, it's not a bad thing to have Bob Colson drive things for a fourth line. You know, like that's good. That would be great. Um, just just something to keep in mind in terms of evaluating just how much depth this team needs is, you know, gradualism being really prescribed with development. That That's a good thing. And, and it's actually one thing that I think Travis Green's done a pretty good job with. Like, even with Pedersen and Hughes thrown into top-of-the-lineup roles, you know, Hughes wasn't playing matchup minutes until December, right? Like, his first 30 games, he was pretty... Yep. They you eased know, him in. yeah, they eased him in and eased him in with one of the best defensive defenders in the league on his right side, having his back. Right, Pedersen until this season wasn't deployed straight up. Right, like that line often, often the Canucks would punt Jay Beagle's line to a top six matchup. Right, as Pedersen sort of handled third line matchups um, whenever Green had control of. Them, right, like those are the types of small decisions which. Uh, fans don't always notice, or, or certainly it's not talked about a ton, but I think, you know, is one of one of this coaching staff's strengths has been putting young players in a position to succeed. And in Pod Colson's case, I think that, you know, honestly, might be a might be a fourth line role to begin with next season. I mean, it was asked repeatedly of Jim Benning, and there's no doubt the club has to provide Travis Green with better depth options. So again, the young core has rarely uh, let the coach down, has rarely disappointed. We know what the young core did in the bubble in Edmonton last summer, uh, but it's so clear that that bottom six and so aggressive free agency trade, whatever, buyouts, we heard all of that. Uh, the club needs to provide Travis Green with better depth options, but I do think that Travis Green's got to figure out a system that's going to uh, allow his team to cut down on the shots it gives up. Like He can't get into years five and six as the coach here and just keep saying, well, we kept it to the outside. We give up 40 shots a night and we lean on Thatcher Demko to run with a 940 save percentage as he did in the month of March. So the, the two-year extension is interesting in this point and, and our good friend and listener uh, to the VanCast, Farhan, asked the question, although he kind of, by his own admission, he... he talked in circles a little bit, but I think his point was, his point was to Travis, like this next year is going to be difficult. And then a year from now, you're going to be back in this position of, you know, final year of your contract, wanting an extension. And yet, like, are you going to be manned with the personnel that's going to allow this thing to move forward? 
And I think it's a it's a fascinating question. And I do think that's the danger of the two-year contract is, you know, for one year, it takes the lame duck label off. But a year from now, we're right back into where we have been all season long talking about a contract, a coach that's heading into the final year of his contract. For sure. It's, um, I, well, yeah, no, I, the Farhan, the Farhan question was good too, because I love the second one, the follow-up on, on Benning, uh, when he discussed like how aggressiveness has got the Canucks into some of the mess they're in. I thought that sure. was tremendous. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it was a, it was a good question. And after Green unpacked it, I thought he gave a good answer. Uh, but look, it happens. Everyone's listened to me fuck up eight questions this year, at least, um, and you know, it happens. We ask what I, I probably ask four questions a day to Travis green on, on a game day. Right. So it's like right there, you've got 250 ish questions a year. They're not all going to be Mona Lisa's. Oh, and I'm just having fun with Farhan and he was having fun he te- <laughs> in our group text. Even he was like, I don't think I got that one quite uh-huh. right. And but, did, did you but, see Mike Martinego saying Farhan went drancer on green? <laughs> uh, Mike Martinego, usually wrong, but in this, in this case, absolutely correct. Uh, as we said, there was going to be a ton to unpack here. Uh, we expected that. I, I want to, before we're done though, uh, we heard from Elias Pettersson on Thursday for the first time in months, right? Like, he wasn't available while he was uh, on the shelf nope. with the injury. Uh, and I thought there was some really uh, some really interesting things that he had to say. And first and foremost, I, I just, like, it was good to have access to him. And I thought he was in a remarkably good headspace for a guy that, you know, had the game taken away from him, only got to play 26 times in the 56 games that they played. He missed the final 30. And, you know, really forthcoming about the injury, where it happened, how it happened, like, and, and not the least bit surprised how detailed he was. I love, like, he he put the date stamp on it. Uh, he was like, March 1st, Winnipeg, away. Second second <laughs> shift. Shady, shady end of the vineyard. <laughs> no, it was so good. Yeah, it was amazing. But this is why, that's why I asked the question, right? Like, this is my approach with Petey, always, is... PD's recall in game is preternatural. Like it's insanity how detailed he can be, how 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 eloquent he can be, and and sophisticated he can be in breaking down how he experiences things on the ice. And his recall for shifts long since past, like blow me away. Honestly, blow me away. And pretty early on in meeting him in my first season, when like I often talked to him one on one, I realized that some like my read on him was that. Sometimes he wasn't comfortable discussing things because I think he's a perfectionist. Like, like you know, the other thing I thought my follow-up question to him was about the wrist, right? And how it was tough for him mentally because the wrist is so key to his shot, right? Which is, yeah. and, and he was like, yeah, you said it. You know, like he didn't, the answer didn't sort of speak to it, but I could tell from his reaction that I had, that I had the sense of it right which is that you know he he maybe was taking a little more time because mentally to not have that shot right is is a totally different challenge for him in terms of how he feels comfortable on the ice um you know and i think that is because pd's a bit of a perfectionist and i think in some some areas when you're asking him about uh, your your average player question you know he he's not as comfortable discussing it in part because I think he worries that he's not his English isn't at a high enough level for himself you know it's totally fine by the way like his English is good it's just not he wants to like say it so precisely 
and he'll he'll sometimes get annoyed with himself that he like hasn't quite done a topic justice. But I've always found him very comfortable when he's discussing his experience and how he views things on the ice. So it's it's sort of always been something that I trend toward, and it was a major reason why the first question I I went to with him, um, you know, on Thursday was about you know exactly when the injury occurred because I, I figured he'd give us you know something pretty detailed, and and of course he did called Hoaglander a power forward but a tiny one. I, I love, love that. that. That was the best. Was so Such yeah. a good formulation. We we and missed we missed him first... on the media side too, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I and heading home for the first time uh, in a year. Uh, and I think that's good. I think that's good so for him, especially yep. especially considering that he seemed just a little bit out of sorts early on this season. I think I think getting away from this fishbowl for a little bit will do him well. Um he's got a good setup yeah. in Ange and um, you know, I'm sure he'll be, uh, I'm sure he'll be happy to, to be back home as, as we all will. Like my wife hasn't been home in 19 months. We're going to go at some point. It's going to be the best. I'm sure he'll feel the same. All right. I have to give you your due here. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. You won the stake bet. Yes, I did. You did. Yes, I did. Congratulations. Well, there is one stake that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it, uh, sirloin a lot. It's, uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink. Meatballs. Very good, sir. I love the fact that it came down to the final game, though. Like, there was drama. There was no drama in the game. Uh, but our 56-game stake bet, and uh, it was there for the taking. I needed Nate Schmidt to step up, and Nate was the only guy that didn't step to the microphone yesterday, which I think has some people talking, too. Uh, and we'll see where that goes in the offseason. But this is about the stake bet. Uh, we'll have lots of things to talk about as the offseason rolls along here. And our buddy Dave on Twitter with the, the spreadsheet. Thanks, he, Dave. Uh, he sent me the final. Uh, You're a legend, Dave. Yeah. And he, like, like I can read the spreadsheet, Dave. You didn't have to put Thomas Grant's wins by three. Yes, and you did. Like, yes, you did. That was highlight. the best. No. Yeah, that no, was I the best like part. At all. No, I, I enjoyed that enormously. In <laughs> fact, in fact, Dave should get like a side of, uh, of onion rings or something <laughs> as part of the terms of the stake bet for his service. Know. Leftover mashed potatoes. Uh, <laughs> Leftover no, Dave, garlic Dave, mash. <laughs> Dave was totally into this thing down the stretch, so I appreciate that. You you ended up winning by three. It was uh, Horvat and Besser late in the season, as uh, you'd expect. They were the goal scorers, and uh, they did their thing. Uh, Dave, uh, he also sent, uh, I, I love, like, he broke it all down. There was the analysis of it as well. Uh, we had two that we predicted the same, so they weren't ever going to uh, affect the outcome, Miller and Hughes. Uh, five predictions varied by one. Uh, you won three of those five, Patterson, Besser, and Pearson. Uh, I won two, Vertanen, and Sutter. Two predictions varied by two. Uh, I had Hoaglander. Uh, you won the Roussel one. And again, Antoine Roussel, just one goal in the season. Uh, like We weren't expecting a lot, but uh, neither one of us uh, anticipated that his production would be that, that low. Two predictions varied by three, Schmidt and uh, Gaudet. You, you collected uh, on, on Gaudet, obviously. And then there was the Horvat one. That was sort of, we always figured it was going to be the swing because I had him at 17, you had him at 23. And uh, in the end, you won. Yeah. So uh, as Dave points out, 10 players, uh, for the 10 players that had different predictions, Drance was closer on six, J Pat was closer on four. And that's ultimately how things shook down. So congratulations, Thomas Drance. Big week for you, your birthday, and. You win our season-long stake bet. So uh, I'll still cling to the the win in the gum bet. We will, we'll have to figure out how to do, like, I think we should go and eat steak and do a podcast at the same time. 
I'm not sure that a steakhouse would be down with that Why? setup necessarily. I think Northlands would. <laughs> no, I saw somebody was somebody yeah. was trying to weasel free golf out of that. They were trying to cut in as the middleman. <laughs> that wasn't somebody. That's like one of my one of my childhood best friends. So oh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, no, he I didn't uh, realize. Yeah, no, I was comfortable to play play around a golf if uh, <laughs> he had to shoot his shot. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, but we'll fi- we'll figure out the details. <laughs> we have to we'll we have to we posted. have to do a podcast while we while we are at a steakhouse. I think it's very important. All right. Well, that may take some arranging. I'm not sure the people at the next table uh, will want in on uh, all the the deep dive on on Canucks uh, news. <laughs> what are you talking opinion, about? It's but... Vancouver. They'll be like, "What are you talking about? His scoring rate's totally fine when he plays with <laughs> when he plays with Horvat. Like the, the key is the, the skill of his line mates that'll allow him to hit his potential. Uh, duh, J Pat. Like, that'll be the people at the next table over. It's Vancouver, baby. This market's right. crazy. It is. The and best. we love the craziness because it's going to keep us going through the offseason here. Hell yeah. Uh, we said it on a recent podcast. We're just going to keep pushing these things out. There's no shortage of content. We haven't really looked back at the season. We'll get into individual players, uh, ways that they're going to have to improve for next year, and obviously covering all of the uh, news events as, uh, you know, Patterson and Hughes and their deals, Seattle expansion, uh, the draft lottery coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So, uh, again, we'll be all over it here at the Vancast. Don't worry. Uh, we've got you covered through the offseason as well. Should mention the Athletic Hockey Show expands to four days a week here in the playoffs. Monday with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. Tuesday, Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly. Wednesday, it's the two-man advantage uh, with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebron. And Thursday, it's Mendez and down goes Brown. So some other pod options for you through the postseason here at The Athletic. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, it's deal time again. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just a dollar a month for the next six months. What are you waiting for? You cannot lose uh, with that kind of deal. So again, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast to get in on that special offer. Uh, load up on Steamworks for the long weekend. Take it easy out there. Enjoy the sunshine. Drancer, enjoy uh, your stake bet victory at least now. We'll, we'll get to the spoils at some point, but uh, you can just uh, bask in the glow of being uh, the stake bet champion for 2021. So I congratulate you again. Thank you, bud. I appreciate it. And I congratulate you on making it through another year with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Thanks to all the VIPs. Uh, again, we're, we'll be around, so we're not going anywhere, but uh, uh, that'll do it for this edition of the VanCast. So for Drancer, this is J-Pat. Uh, thanks so much for your support all season long. Uh, you've been listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. Thanks.